The podcast you are about to listen to is not a medical podcast, nor is it designed to diagnose a condition. While there are medical experts on the show, any questions regarding medical care or concern should be directed to a primary care physician. The team at Invax is dedicated to delivering new personalized immunotherapy approaches to improve outcomes for people living with glioblastoma and other solid tumors. Leveraging decades of validated research and technologies, Invax's unique platform is designed to capture a tumor's full antigen signature and use it to stimulate a patient's immune system against remaining tumor cells. Invax is currently recruiting for a randomized phase 2b clinical trial of IGV-001 in newly diagnosed glioblastoma patients. Learn more about this Phase 2b trial at imvax.com or clinicaltrials.gov. Imvax, advancing a new approach to personalized cancer immunotherapy. Welcome to Game on Glio a podcast that tells the stories of brain cancer warriors, clinicians, medical experts, and those in the grief and loss community. I'm your host, Shannon Traphagen. This season, you will hear unique brain cancer and grief and loss stories, as well as my own journey through grief and loss. If you enjoy our show, please consider writing a review. Also share us with a friend. You can follow us on Facebook at Game on Glio, or Instagram and YouTube at Game on Glio Podcast. You can also visit and subscribe to our website at thegameongliopodcast.com for our blog, insights, clinical trials, and guest snapshots. Season 3 of the Game on Glio podcast is sponsored by GT MedTech and Gametile Therapy. Learn more at gtmedtech.com. And by Invax, personalized whole tumor-derived immunotherapies. Learn more at invax.com. This episode is brought to you by Mimivax LLC developing immunotherapeutic vaccines and therapies for treatment of cancers such as glioblastoma. Learn more at Mimivax.com. What's the purpose of life? Philosopher and Nobel laureate Bertrand Russell believed the purpose starts with us as individuals. What we put out there creates the purpose. He was once quoted as saying, extreme hopes are born from extreme misery. When we allow grief to transform us, we may find ourselves doing something that we love and are naturally good at that we may not have done otherwise. This in turn makes us feel centered and authentic. We become a vessel, a vehicle for something greater. Therein lies the answer to the question. The purpose of life is to find purpose, to live a life of extreme hope that stems from extreme grief. Our guest today turned his extreme misery, his grief, into extreme hope, and he puts that hope out there in the world every single day. What's the purpose of life? The purpose of life is to be purposeful, to find purpose, to walk with authenticity and creativity, and to build extreme hope out of extreme sadness, grief, or misery. Colin Gurner joins us and talks to us about how he's transformed his life and how his grief turned into a mission and a beacon of hope. He joins us next after a quick word from our sponsor. 
Imagine waking up from brain tumor removal surgery knowing that your radiation treatment is already underway. That's how gamma tile therapy works. At the end of brain tumor removal surgery, the neurosurgeon implants the tiny gamma tiles where the tumor is most likely to return. So instead of waiting to start daily standard radiation treatments that go for weeks, you get a head start against the tumor cells and get back to your life sooner. For operable brain tumors of all types, including glioblastomas, brain metastases, and meningiomas, gamma tile therapy is a one-time targeted radiation treatment with fewer side effects and far less chance of hair loss than external radiation. Gamma tile therapy is FDA cleared radiation therapy for patients with newly diagnosed malignant brain tumors and recurrent brain tumors. Gamma tile therapy is tough on tumors and easier on patients and caregivers. Learn more at gammatile.com. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us here on the Game on Glio podcast. With me today is Colin Gurner. He is a manager at PricewaterhouseCoopers in New York City, but he is also the president and co-founder of Stash Strong, a 501c3 nonprofit that is devoted to raising funds and awareness for brain cancer research. Colin, thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. So let's dive right in. Stash Strong is an enormous foundation, and you guys have done a lot of work just in the last few years. But this all started with your older brother, who was diagnosed with glioblastoma in 2017. So let's talk a little bit about your brother. The tumor was originally found through initially through a seizure, which is fairly common. It's fairly typical, especially with GBM. How old was he when it was found? Tell us your brother's name. And I also want to address, there was something you were telling a lot of people, and we're going to circle back to it, but I found it very interesting. But tell us a little bit more about your brother's diagnosis. Yeah, my brother's name was GJ, as in George John Gurner. Uh, he was the third from the namesake perspective, and he was diagnosed right before his 29th birthday after a seizure during Labor Day weekend. Um, again, a completely healthy mid-20-year-old where a seizure out of the blue thrust us into a world of unknowns. And even at that point, we still didn't know anything, right? Mm -hmm. You know, the original thought process was just dehydration or something along those lines. But after a full evening and late night of scans and transporting to different places, hearing doctors, again, I'm, I'm 25 at the time, and hearing doctors in the hallway use the term mass in a conversation just amongst them was kind of what was the first time that I heard it and, and was that moment where, you know, I had to go out in the hallway and kind of address them. And they took the approach that they weren't going to tell my brother until the morning to let him sleep, which I always thought was a wild thing to do. But, you know, that was the moment where I had to call my parents and let them know that their firstborn had a mass. And that's all I knew. And I had to call uh, our little sister to kind of share that wildly unfortunate news. Wow. So he was barely 29 years old when he was diagnosed. His 29th birthday was spent at a mask fitting for radiation. So it was just about a month before his uh, 29th. That's crazy. It just continues to astound me how many young individuals, I mean, we're not talking, you know, Senator McCain age. We're not talking about people in their 70s and their 80s. We're talking about people in their teens, their 20s, their 30s, their 40s. I mean, my late husband was only 44 when he was diagnosed and like super healthy, not a smoker, barely drank, cyclist. Does it continue to blow you away? Because every time I meet people through our show, through the work that we do, through your foundation, 
I'm constantly meeting people that are telling us, you know, I was 28, I was 26, I was 32, I was 34. I mean, all of these young individuals. We made an announcement the other day. There was a um, semi-professional hockey player in the Midwest, 19 years old. He just passed away. Yeah, and it still gives me goosebumps and, you know, makes me feel uneasy because when we first Googled, it was 50, 60, 70, 80, right? That's what we were seeing. Mm-hmm. So we, you know, here we were thinking, gosh, we're, we're extremely unlucky at this point, right? Like, but we didn't know what it was or, or what was to come still. We just knew that, you know, a brain tumor needed to come out. And, you know, you fast forward five and a half years at this point, I have met, gosh, hundreds. I mean, I've met thousands of people through the, what we do and, and what we've done. I've met hundreds of people between the ages of, you know, under 30, under 40, even. Mm-hmm. Again, GBM is tough mm-hmm. when you're 90. Yeah. <laughs> GBM, yeah. It, it, I think, is, is another level when you lose someone well before they got to do anything they were supposed to do. I feel the exact same way. When you can't even get to retirement age, you know, you've, you haven't been able to have your children or grandchildren or see any of them grow to really kind of live that full experience, to have somebody who's 19 or 29 or 44, they're passing away so young from a disease that really this cancer should not be so prevalent in people so young. We need to get to a better place. But when he was diagnosed, GJ, as you call him, and I'm, I'm going to screw that up because <laughs> if you say it fast enough, it's going to come out wrong. But when he was first diagnosed, you were telling people quite a bit that there was nothing wrong with him to act strong in front of him. If you feel that you're going to collapse, do it inside. Why did you feel this was so important to stress to people? And, and the reason I zero in on it is because I had the same kind of reaction when Mike was diagnosed. We went into kind of this fight mode where it was just, he's okay and he is staying strong. And so we've all got to do the same. We've got to buck up for him kind of mentality. Yeah, no. And I always refer to my brother as, and you'll see it, and anything I write is Jeej. So I'll, I'll probably say that throughout the, okay. the episode. But, um, you know, for, for him, the first couple weeks, it was really just the five of us, right? My parents, my sister, Jeej and I. We knew a lot because we were the ones researching and sitting in the appointments and understanding everything that was going on. But my brother, two days out of brain surgery, was home reading the Wall Street Journal, right? He was ready to go back to work at, at EY in Manhattan. This is not hyperbole. There was nothing wrong with him outside of his diagnosis after surgery. Full function, full cognitive ability, running sub eight minute miles. Like if you did not know he had GBM and if he hadn't been wearing Optune, mm-hmm. you would not know anything was wrong, right? Mm-hmm. So in, in terms of how we kind of looked at it, that was the beginning of our, and you hear this term all the time. And I think it got more popular after COVID, but new normal, right? Yep. New normal was a big thing for, for GBM patients. And For me, I wanted my brother's friends to treat him the same way they did before because that's what he wanted, Mm -hmm. right? He didn't didn't want anyone pitying him and worrying about him because in his mind, everything that he did was to show that he was still at the same level he was before and that nothing was wrong. So if the guy going through brain surgery, radiation, chemotherapy, wearing Optune on the New York City subways is going through all of that effort to prove to you he's okay, Mm -hmm. the least we can do is treat business as normal, right? Treat him as the best friend you've had for the past 20 years, right? Treat him as the brother he's always been to you because that's what he was. And I think, you know, for us, we were fortunate because he didn't have symptoms, right? He did not have early loss and deficits that made it even easier to take that approach 
because again, he, I always say he ran a 5k a year in, right? A year after diagnosis at our first 5k and he ran sub 24 minute 5k. Wow. And if that wasn't the epitome of showing everyone, Hey, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. As he runs by you, (laughs) I don't know what is. It's amazing the strength and the fortitude. Mike was the same way. I think it was two or three weeks after his brain surgery. So we already had the diagnosis. We knew what was going on. Two or three weeks after that, he did a 25-mile bike ride. He cycled out, 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 exactly. out in the hills and did a 25-mile cycling ride and was completely cognitively, I mean, he, you know, he was still recovering and recuperating, but he was trying to show everybody that I'm okay. I'm in the I'm in this fight, but I am I'm still me. And I think that that is so important that when they're showing us that that the least we can do is just go along with the ride, you know, and kind of stand next to them and say, "Okay, we've got you. We're, you know, we don't see we don't see the cancer, we still see you." Exactly. And it's interesting because anytime I talk about it like this, it always reminds me like that's why Stash Strong exists mm-hmm. because the strongest person possible was trying to just live normal and show everyone he was okay. And he thought that he was one of the more fortunate ones, more fortunate as a guy who was 29, diagnosed with an incurable disease with a 10 to 15 month life expectancy. And here he was thinking he was more fortunate than others. Yeah. Doesn't that blow your mind? I mean, it just shows you how amazing and resilient these these individuals are, you know, to, to have that kind of belief and to have that kind of mentality when they're the ones walking through the disease, I can't even, I can't even imagine. I mean, and you and I, we were the, we were caregivers. We were, you know, we were there 24 hours a day, seven days a week throughout the whole thing. And I still can't even put myself in, in either of their shoes. Agreed. (laughs) When he was diagnosed, he, it sounds like he started the Optune device right away. So did that, did he? He did, yeah. Okay, so he got access to that. And so Optune back then wasn't nearly as prevalent as it is now because even in 2019, we were barely hearing whispers of it. It's not like it was extremely easy to get access to, but yet he started using the Aptune device right away. Did he do any other clinical trials while he was using Aptune? No other clinical trials. Again, from he was definitely a standard of care off the bat and had a a really strong resection. Mm Mm-hmm into TMZ, right? Chemo. And we did proton therapy actually for his radiation. But as we looked at it, scans were clear, right? Mm -hmm. Everything was looking good. And as my brother's approach, he's like, well, we got to do something, right? And you can't jump into a clinical trial at that point with zero deficits and everything working so far. So Optune was kind of that uh, approach where the science behind it and, and the data behind it was showing a longer duration of life mm-hmm. and an extended life based on those who weren't. And in my brother's mind, he was going to do everything he could to get more tomorrow. So that was Optune for us again at the time, starting in the end of 17. He wore it religiously every single day, 99% of every day, because when it was on, it was working, right? That's yeah. how we, we viewed it. So I, I'd shave his head and apply the the device and we got it down to a science really, but he also took it as a point to educate others, right? I mean, again, we live in New York City and mm-hmm. he's riding the subway to work with wires hanging out of his head into a backpack, right? Not something that, you know, most people are going to just see once and look away and never look back, right? Mm-hmm. I, I would I would actually get upset. People would stare and here's my brother at on the subway or at a brewery, right? Going up to people being like, Hey, do you want to know what this is? Right. And he was <laughs> up front. And, you know, that's just that's just the kind of guy he was, right? It never it never bothered him. He just took it as a 
opportunity to educate others. And again, another perfect example of like what kind of person was GJ? That's who he was, right? Mm -hmm. I'm the little brother on the side fuming that people are staring at him and he's walking right up to them to educate them and let them know he has brain cancer and it's a newer technology and solution to help him in his battle. That's amazing. He's such an amazing individual. I don't know. I, I'm, it kind of blows me away. How long did he wear the Optune device? 15 months until recurrence. I had a surgery for a tumor, a bilateral surgery. So the tumor um, was on the other side uh, of his brain from the original location. So Okay. So that was what, early on in 2019? That surgery was December of 18. Okay. Uh, the first week of December of 18. So he had to take about a month or two off after that because he went back into radiation, back into chemo. Obviously, uh, you know, his scalp was weaker than, mm-hmm. than before. So he had to wait. But again, he wanted to get back onto Optune. So he did again, basically until, until he passed. But all in all, I mean, gosh, probably 20 of the 25 months were spent with Optune. So from start to finish, from point of diagnosis to when he passed away, he had just over two years. Yeah, 25 months. 25 months. And he was just about 29 years old when he when he died. Yeah, so he passed at 30 on September 17th of 2019. That was literally a month after my husband was officially diagnosed. So now you and your family have started Stash Strong Foundation. And Stash is short for mustache for some very obvious reasons. For those of you who do not are not familiar with this foundation, please go look up the pictures because they are great. <laughs> and there is a reason behind the naming of the foundation. Did you start the foundation with your brother before he passed or was this started in? Yeah. The, okay. So tell us a little bit more about the foundation. Yeah, we started this together, which is, I would say, another rarity and special part about what we have and what we've done. Again, we did not go into my brother's diagnosis saying, let's start a charity, right? That was not a thought. It never crossed our minds. But my brother went into his surgery, you know, shaved down into a mustache, knew he wasn't going back to work immediately, his way to lighten the mood. Again, if you look at little moments in time of who he was, there it is. You know, pictures could say a thousand words, but my dad and I followed suit and grew out a mustache as well. And it was, you know, the three of us joining together, growing out a mustache, just like, hey, we're here for you, right? That like silent, but understood gesture, if you may. And then, you know, friends took notice, family took notice, people start shaving down a mustache and send them a picture like, keep fighting, man, hope you're well, miss you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. A month of that, I was kind of like, dude, you're stash strong, right? Like this, this is cool. Look how many people care about you, right? Just like taking time to grow a mustache in a few weeks and send you a photo <laughs> to show they care about you, right? And and so all of a sudden you just saw like this community come together. And again, we were fortunate. We have incredible friends. We went to college together. We have a great home crew. You know, that was never not understood, but it really came to light mm-hmm. after my brother's diagnosis. So, you know, for the next four or five months, I just started to kind of therapeutically create a website, right? I never told GJ, I never told my family, just kind of it was my way to deal with the immense emotions and what I was basically feeling. Five months of that, I was collecting my family stories. I was journaling and just kind of keeping every moment, you know, to me because it was a way that I could reflect and, and kind of process. And mm-hmm. so in March of 18, you know, after one of I shaved my brother's head every two days, right? Mm-hmm. And I applied a new new strip of Optune. But I uh, sat down with him and was like, hey, I've been working on this. 
if you don't want to do this, we'll never talk about it again. And that's fine. This has helped me. Mm-hmm. But like, this is the Stastron thing. I think we could like help people. Again, if you look at my brother, C, he's fighting an incurable disease. You know, he's six months in at this point and, and without even a blink of an eye, he's like, let's do this, right? Mm-hmm. Let's do this. And I'll, I'll never forget it. Like, there's so many who are less fortunate than me. And again, I said that already today, but that was his mindset. He thought, yeah, let's do this because there's a lot of other people who, aren't making it to six months. And their past six months aren't anything close to what I've experienced with GBM. So in 2017 to 18, there also weren't a lot of avenues, right? Mm-hmm. It, was a, it was a bit different landscape than it is now, right? You had a few major orgs, but we weren't finding anything on Instagram or Facebook of, of organizations that you know you could talk to a brother, a, yep. a patient, a mom and dad, a sister, right? So that's kind of how it all started. Again, as organically and unintentionally as something could start has ballooned into, we've raised over $3 million. We've funded over 25 research grants at top institutions across the country. And again, it all starts from a organic moment. And so from that point on until my brother's passing, it was it was the two of us, right? We spoke at conferences. We were, you know, for me, naively, I thought, gosh, if we can just do something crazy quick yeah. with dollars raised and a new trial funded, right? I was naive at that point. I'm 25. I, yeah. I haven't seen the space yet. Maybe we can save Jeej, right? Like that was my thought. Maybe Staff Strong can save Jeej. And again, obviously not the case, but the two of us and our family got to do a lot together in those, you know, next 18 months of Staff Strong. And so he got to be part of it. And this is kind of part of his legacy. He is Staff Strong, right? Like Staff Strong started, it, it was my brother. And, you know, we'd go on Instagram Live and he'd be doing defensive slide drills in the hotel before radiation to like keep sharp, right? Like it was just, we gave a very vulnerable look. It's his fingerprint. It's his fingerprint. And now the fascinating part for me is it's not just his story, right? It's become thousands of other people's stories all because what GJ stood for, how he lived resonated. And honestly, I really think that that mentality that you have, yeah, maybe it was naive, but I think that we have to continue to have that mentality. I thought the same thing. I dove into every single thing that I possibly could. And I figured, okay, if we can pump enough money into this clinical trial, if we can raise enough awareness, maybe it'll save Mike. And obviously it didn't. But I think that we have to continue with that mentality. You know, it's the way I step into the podcast. It's the way I step into the fundraiser. It's the way you step into the foundation. We need to have that in order to keep the fight going. Look at the momentum that we've seen and that we've been a part of in the last couple of years. I don't think that would have existed without people like you and your brother and me and Mike and all of those out there in the community. I think there's an energy behind it that wasn't there before 2019, 2020. Yeah, agreed. And when I say naively, I really mean selfishly, right? Like I, <laughs> I just, I couldn't do anything, right? You're sitting there as a brother, a caregiver, a, you know, a best friend, and there's nothing I can do, right? So in my mind, it's like, this is what I can do and, and hopefully it can save him, right? And so when I say naively, I mean, I, I selfishly wanted to save my brother. And now my mission and goal and the reason I step into Staff Strong is so that when the next set of brothers give us a call, like we have an answer down the road, right? They don't have to go through what I saw, what my brother had to experience. And so like, that's my driving force of Staff Strong one day. If we, I'll hang up the cleats, right? <laughs> we'll, yeah. we'll close down the doors if we can say, the community funded a cure, right? The community funded that something that is giving five years of extended life, right? We're not there yet, mm-hmm. but like that's my purpose. That's my mission. Yep. So you guys have, through Stash Strong, now I want to reiterate, you guys have raised over $3 million to date 
which is yeah, absolutely it's, crazy, it's crazy. It's outstanding. I applaud you. I think we need so much more of this kind of energy behind brain cancer initiatives. You also have coming up in August, September, October, you have a number of events coming up. So tell our listeners a little bit about what's coming up in the late summer, early fall, you know, how people can get involved. Yeah, definitely. I think that's another unique part about our organization is we were always focused on creating a community, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's what you need when you're going through GBM. And that's what we didn't have um, when we were starting to go through GBM. So we have several events, like you mentioned, our, our annual 5K is in its sixth year, and that's every September. This year is September 16th. We do it both in person in upstate New York, in our hometown, Vestal, New York, but we also do it virtually. Mm-hmm. One of those things that came from COVID, you know, we had to shut down our 5K during that in the, in the first year, and you know, we learned how to, how to do this virtually. And we have over 1,500 participants in all 50 states. You know, we're shipping them the bib and, and the shirt and they're getting together with their community and just getting outside, walking, running, you know, again, raising awareness and, and passion for it. It's an important event for us because my brother was a passionate runner. Mm-hmm. It's kind of our, our first true event. And now one of those is fate would have it. It's the weekend he passed, right? We had two before he passed, but it's just kind of how it played wow. out. And, and so it's a special for us to kind of honor him mm-hmm. in that way every September. We also have a New York City charity fundraiser every year in October. That's usually late October. This year is the 20th, 250 to 300 people at a uh, huge bar right outside of Penn Station. We have 50 baskets, signed jerseys, baseballs, bats, you name it, right? Mm -hmm. That started as a celebration of life to see my brother and show everyone he was okay. And now it continues on as an awesome event, bringing together so many people, both from our original community, but again, so many that have come into the Staff Strong community because of a GBM diagnosis. And then in November, we have a 30 plus person New York City Marathon team, which is another incredible event, obviously an individualistic event where you know we have 30 plus bibs, people apply and we grant those out to create the Staff Strong team. But you're seeing, in my mind, one of the greatest road races in, in the world. Millions of people transcend upon Manhattan for a single day. And you know, you're watching a daughter of someone who had GBM. You're watching a wife, a husband, you know, someone who's still fighting has run with us. And you're watching them throw on the staff strong and go out there and run 26.2 miles. And it's a pretty incredible and important event for us. And it, it, you know, the last two miles run by where my brother was treated. I've run it. I ran it with him. That's got to be really emotional. Oh yeah. This is like the craziest thing about my brother. He took off his Optune device in New York City, popped in with me at mile 20 and ran the final six miles with me about three weeks before his recurrence was like found. Wow. Oh my gosh. I don't always talk about that. I have like goosebumps. Everything we do has purpose, has meaning. It has a sense of like who my brother was and has become so much more, but the marathon is just another example. So those are three huge events for us every year. We also have a, a golf tournament in Jupiter, Florida. The first one is this was this year in May, mm-hmm. um, and we do that annually. And you guys also do Brew Stash Strong, and it's something that you run every single year. And breweries can get involved from you know April, May, June on. They can designate a specific beer. A dollar of each of those beers that is purchased, the donations go to Stash Strong Foundation. So, you know, I want to make sure we mention that as well because it's such a creative and unique way to involve other members of the business community and craft beer in the U.S., especially in New York State. 
we are big craft beer people in New York. So it's such a great way to get that type of community involved. And you guys do that as well. Yeah. And that's a, that's a huge one for us. Again, we've worked with over 350 breweries across 45 states in the past few years, which again is anytime we're saying numbers now, it blows my mind that that's what it's grown to. But that's another example of like Stash Strong. That started because of COVID, right? We knew, I, I looked at it as like, well, we can't have our New York City event. We can't have our 5K. How are we going to do this? My brother just passed. You know, there's a lot going on. And that's when you realize we exist in chaos, yeah. right? Stash Strong's first, Two years was my brother's diagnosis. The next two years were COVID, right? We've only ever learned how to pivot and survive in chaos. And Bruce Dash Strong was born from that. And, you know, we worked with one brewery for the first two years. It's just a, a good friend of ours um, and one of our board members, uh, Lou at Oscar Blues, mm-hmm. and has steamrolled into working with over 350 breweries in just the past few years. Love it. Again, it's, it's one of those amazing campaigns that grew from a difficult time. Not only are you the president of the foundation, but you also have a job at PricewaterCoopers. So how do you balance this? How do you balance juggling both of these? Because both are very demanding. Yeah, I always say one's a job, one's a passion. So, you know, I've worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers in Manhattan for going on eight years now. And and I've transitioned. I was in client services, working in consulting and tax, and now I actually run our our charitable foundation with a team of eight of us doing incredible work, totally different than obviously Stash Strong's focus. But you know, that's that's my job, right? It's a passion of mine as well. I'm committed to what we do. But Stash Strong for me is like being with my brother. Mm. Early days, I did PwC Stash Strong and my brother's treatments, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> so I was able to fit all that in. I can certainly still do the two of these things. And again, for me, after a, you know a 10-hour workday, if I got four or five hours left to stash strong in me, it's like, it's a passion. And I'm like back awake and invigorated because again, I, I know what that next set of brothers, that family is facing who just got diagnosed, right? And, and it's a way for me to both keep my brother's name alive, but it's also a way for me to like ensure that, you know, another family doesn't go alone. Yep. It is a lot. I'll, I'm not going to lie and say like, oh, this is so easy. But for me, it's necessary, it's a passion, and it's something that, again, really drives me to be a change agent in, in the brain cancer space. You know, when you lost your brother, how did that change you? How did that affect you? If you look back at where you were before his diagnosis to where you are right now, how do you think that changed you? It's one heck of a question. You know, there's a void that will forever be missing. And, you know, I, I feel in different ways every day, right? And, and sometimes you just want to shoot him a text, or sometimes you just want to watch the game or just grab a beer, right? Simple things, let alone trips and other facets of life. But for me, how it changed me, I try to emulate a lot of his characteristics. Again, he was the, he was the big bro. I was the annoying little bro. <laughs> I don't have that, that sounding board and that tangible at least or, or in the flesh anymore. But how it's changed me is, is trying to be the person he was and trying to be the the man and the friend that he always was. I mean, I'd trade it all to have him next to me, right? Mm -hmm. I'll never mince words on that. I would much rather have none of this have ever happened. But, you know, I think one thing that he always said during his diagnosis, that's probably a a thing that has affected me and changed me is you can only control what you can control. So I think, you know, pre-diagnosis, there's plenty of things I worried about or thought about or oftentimes were out of my control. Mm -hmm. And now anytime I'm doing that, I'm like, what are you doing? Kyle, like, yeah. If, if Jeej could do that amidst GBM, like you're fine, right? So it's kind of just pick yourself up and keep moving. And mm-hmm. 
keep that smile on your face, I think is, is something of how it's affected me and, and changed me. And, and again, I think another piece is, I mean, this guy was calm, cool and collected, right? Uh, I mean, did not raise his voice, did not lash out, did not get angry. All these things that you could, I, I would totally understand if he did throughout his diagnosis. I'd be like, yeah, you should do that. You should feel that way. So I think that's another way for me. It's like, there's so many things that happen to each of us every single day. Everyone's fighting their own battles. Everyone's grieving or, or going through something. But mm-hmm. for me, you know, I just, if I'm having a, a tough moment or thinking through something, I just try to emulate my brother because I know exactly what he'd do. I know exactly what he'd say. And, and it helps me immediately get over it because it's a saying, but life is truly too short. And yeah. I've experienced it and watched it. He'd be so proud of you right now. You know that, right? I, I, I hope so. <laughs> he'd be immensely, immensely proud of you. It kind of reminds me, Mike said once before he got worse, you live daily, you only die once. Yeah, that's powerful. Your brother was the walking embodiment of that. Mike was the walking embodiment of that. You live every single day. You get to get up and live every day. And how you choose to live that day is up to you. But you get to do it over and over and over again. You only die once. So while you're living, do it right, no matter what you're going through. Yeah. And I think your brother was. I, I wish I got a chance to meet him. I mean, he just sounds like such an amazing individual. Yeah, I think that's one of the joys for me, right? Yeah. I, I meet a lot of people who didn't get to meet him, but I feel like in a way you get to, right? And I think that's also special. Oh, you've painted a picture. Like I can totally just picture him and I can, I feel like I can feel him around me as we're talking. And I love that. I think that that is just, it's a really cool gift uh, to get to know him in this way. You were a part of his caregiving team. And so we're going to transition a little bit. You helped really take care of him a great deal. So what was the hardest part about being a caregiver for your older brother? Yeah, I think the first hardest part is I hate that word. And, and I always have to like deal with it because everyone, I, I, I was a caregiver, right? My mom and dad were caregivers. My sister was a caregiver. But I always said I was his brother, right? And, and that's, mm-hmm. you know, for me, I think the one tough thing is is realizing all these years later, like, yeah, you really were a caregiver sometimes, right? Yeah. For me, I internalized it and was like, he would do the same thing for me, right? I'm his brother who's just helping him get through this just as he would do for me. But you know, as you look at what's the hardest part, I think there's, it's twofold. One, for us, there was four of us that were going through all of this and trying to do everything we can and trying to always be there and, and supportive. And it, it weighs on you, right? There's only one person who has GBM, but in a way, the other four feel it in just a very similar way outside of the actual pain and, and suffering that, that might go through with that. But the other part for me is you see a lot of things. Mm-hmm. I always say my brother lived to be 30 years old, only two of those years were with GBM, but it's hard to not think of those two years, right? I want to be thinking about the 90% of his life that occurred before that. That was really good. Um, that was great, right? Mm-hmm. And, and worry-free mm-hmm. and just you know so many memories. But there was a point where I was picking him up as I usually did for, you know, Monday to go to radiation. And he wasn't responding in the same way. And I was like, this is weird. And I was outside for 10 minutes. I finally ran up and, you know, there he was in a color I hadn't seen him before. Right. And, and struggling to put his pants on, right. Like right foot, left mm-hmm. foot. And I try to burn those images out of my mind. I, I truly do because I hate them. And I get emotional still years later. They're triggers. Yeah, they're triggers. They're triggers. I mean, you just you just talking about it is making me emotional because I'm picturing all of those same moments with Mike. I think that's the toughest part is like, there's a lot of good days, mm-hmm. right? There was, a. I mean, my brother was golfing. We were on the boat. We went to Ireland. We hiked the Grand Canyon. Like 
we did a lot of incredible things during his diagnosis, but some of those singular days just stick out so much more, especially in grief and in passing, because, you know, that's not who my brother was, right? And, and then another point, you know, you look at the last three years of his life, GBM was taking over his brain and he was still waking up every morning, going to PT, OT, and speech therapy. He was basically in a harness on a treadmill working on putting one foot in front of the other. Like he was still fighting and, and you're watching that and you're like pushing because like, you know, he wants to push and he wants to show you he's okay. Mm-hmm. But you know, you take a step back that night and you go home and you're like, man, my marathon running brother was in a harness today with walking assistance to remember how to put the left foot in front of his right. Right. And those parts for me as a, as a caregiver, that's what was difficult. And this is why it is so crucial. Brain cancer, it is a battle like no other. It is literally a war like no other cancer I've ever seen. And, and all cancers are absolutely devastating. They're horrible. But man, brain cancer really does a number. And this is why we talk about, I mean, those images, they're hard to get out of your head. And you have to really focus on the 90% that was so great no matter what. But those hard moments, they're there for a reason. And I truly believe that those hard images, those moments that they battled through that were tough, those are the moments that this is why we're, we're doing what we're doing. This is why you do what you do, because nobody should have to go through those kind of moments. We shouldn't yeah. have to be dealing with not having better treatments or a cure for brain cancer when you see those kind of moments. At the same time as a caregiver, like us getting to drive through New York City out to Somerset, New Jersey for radiation, just like bumping tunes and hanging out and, you know, on the way back, listening to the game, right? Like, those are great memories I have as a caregiver, right? Every time I did his op tune, mm-hmm. you know, every single time we finished, we'd fist pump. It was just like kind of our <laughs> silent way of just like, hey, thanks, man. I got you, you know, back and forth, right? Kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And those were great memories as a caregiver. And, and that's what I always say. Like the interesting thing about having a loved one go through this is like you said, 90-10. I'd, I'd even say 99-1, right? Like there's, we had a lot of incredible moments and in, in, like moments I will never forget as a set of brothers albeit going through a difficult time. But mm-hmm. you know, when you say the hardest part about being a caregiver, I mean, any caregiver who's listening can understand it, right? We get it without talking about it. Yeah. We've seen things that we don't like to see our, our loved ones fully struggle. And, and that's what GBM can do. That's exactly what it is. The foundation, the Stash Strong Foundation, you've built this amazing community that we are all a part of. And Game on Glio fully supports the work that you guys do. It's, it's just so amazing. It's in your brother's memory. His fingerprint, his energy is just all over it. Where do you see the foundation five years from now? Where would you like to see? It's interesting because we just had our five-year anniversary. And if you asked me that five years ago, I would never <laughs> imagine we would have accomplished what we had this quickly. I hoped we could, but I never would have imagined it. So with that in mind, again, I think my biggest goal and Stashong's biggest goal as an organization, as a board, as a family over the next five years is to continue to push the envelope. Mm -hmm. You know, a big thing for me is collaborating with other organizations, meeting new institutions that have cutting edge technology, cutting edge clinical trials. For me, it's not about having Strong's name on the paper that moves a trial to phase three and and goes to drug development. Like that's, I'm not here for that. Mm -hmm. I'm here for in five years from now, we have another trial or institution or study to point to that can help people, right? In five Mm -hmm. years from now, we are even better 
at helping those that connect with us navigate this both from a clinical perspective and a emotional and physical perspective, right? In five years, we can get to a point where when you are diagnosed, you're immediately fed information and learning from a from a staff strong from the next organization over. And that ultimately, I think one of the biggest things of how we can get there is that we better collaborate. Mm -hmm. It frustrates me as a caregiver, a brother who went through this, as well as a you know a president, CEO, co-founder, whatever you want to title it as, who still is not seeing change. It's been that way for so long. We're starting to get there, mm -hmm. but we can get there a lot faster together. And, and that's always been a big thing for us as a family. It's like together we can do anything, right? Yeah. And, and if we're all fighting this in a siloed approach. I promise you it will be the same as it was yesterday. But And, and I'm seeing this tide of, of the waves here. But if we can start to collaborate better, and that's what we're doing, and work with other organizations and use our resources in a more effective way, mm -hmm. we will actually accomplish what we want to as patient-centric organizations, right? Yep. As organizations fighting for more tomorrows for those fighting brain cancer. Yep. Being able to play nice in the sandbox. <laughs> yeah. And again, it, it's fascinating sometimes to even hear out loud. And I'm the most transparent probably head of an org you'll, you'll, you'll hear from, but we need to be in a sandbox together because every single person, I've again, I, I've given eulogies, right? I've been at too many funerals as a 31-year-old. Mm -hmm. The point is we have to do this differently and we have to do it together. And, and again, it's getting there. There are incredible organizations, incredible mm -hmm. organizations, wonderful leadership at these organizations across the board. And I'm seeing it, right? We, we've had meetings of the minds. We've gotten together and funded clinical trials together. We funded fellowships, discovery grants together, right? We, we're doing that in unity. Yep. In five years from now, that has to double and triple. That's my goal. I don't disagree with you. And I think that that's, and that's the whole purpose of having the podcast is to bridge this communication, to bridge that gap, to allow organizations like yours and others to collaborate, to come together. It all comes down to communication and working together for the same goal, for the same purpose. And we're all doing this for the same reasons. And I agree with you 100%. And I, I really hope five years from now that we do see that triple and quadruple and really take off. And I want to see our treatments in better positions. So I don't disagree with you at all. I think that that's exactly what we need. And I think that you guys are in a really good space to make that happen. And it's going to take voices like yours to continue to bring other people to the table, to think outside the box and to be the outlier, to coin a phrase from one of my good friends who has a foundation in Pittsburgh. Oh, he's the best, by the way. Oh, I, I love him. I absolutely love him. I'm, he's very near and dear to me. <laughs> I got the meeting at our last 5K, just an incredible human doing great things with that organization. So for, for all of our listeners, we're talking about Harry LaRusso with the Outlier Fund. So, <laughs> and he is absolutely somebody super close to my heart. Uh, we did a huge project documentary with him last year. You know, I've been supporting his run. I support the Outlier Fund, like I support you guys, but he has got a great heart. It's interesting, a lot of these individuals who have been diagnosed with GBM, there's a lot of similarities in not only their personalities, but their humbleness and their kindness and their gratitude and their outlook on life. Harry's is the same as your brother's, who is the same as my husband's. All of these individuals, for some reason, they just the way they tackle it, the way they see it, the way they approach life after they've been diagnosed is just, there's something to it. And I, I don't know exactly what it is, but it definitely centers me and it kind of brings me back to earth. Like it kind of just makes me take a step back and, and makes me put pride and ego and everything else aside to just say, if 
they can treat life like this, given the situation that they're in, then I can handle anything that comes my way, <laughs> you know? Totally. So what does it mean to be part of this community, to be part of this brain cancer community? I mean, we are a small community. We are not, you know, there's definitely it's growing exponentially. What does it mean to you to be part of this community? For me, this community absolutely ignites me. Anytime I, I get off the phone or exchange emails with family who saw our beer in Nebraska, right? <laughs> a family in Alaska who who flew in in honor of her husband to run the New York City Marathon with us, right? Mm-hmm. Like I have hundreds of these examples. These individuals ignite me because they deserved more. Mm-hmm. They deserved a world and a health system and an oncology system that gave them an opportunity, right? You're looking, you're, you know, my brother, your husband fought so hard without ever having a chance at a silver bullet. For me, every time I am at an event, every time I'm on the phone with someone who's looking for navigation and just support, mm-hmm. it, it truly lights a fire under, under me because I take myself back to the beginning and I didn't have that. Not that anything would have been different if I had that, but I'll tell you what, I would have been a lot more comfortable off the bat. I would have felt a lot more confident with our direction and where we're headed and and treatment. And just having a support network of someone who gets you is so important. So for me, being a part of this community is hopefully ensuring that change can occur, right? That's why Staff Mm -hmm. Strong's here. That's why I I exist in this role. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, it, it helps me as well, right? You said, how do you do two jobs? It's because I'm, I'm fighting for individuals who deserve it. I'm fighting for those who, who face GBM with a smile on their face and, yeah. and a fire in, in their demeanor. And for me, that ultimately all circles back to my brother. Yep. I love that. What are two tips that you would give to those who are grieving the loss from somebody who's been walking through the process? Yeah, I think the overarching one is whatever you're feeling is right, is okay, is acceptable everyone grieves differently. And I I talk about grief a lot and I've talked about it a lot in different podcasts. And ultimately, how you grieve is how you grieve. Mm -hmm. And you can't get upset of how someone else is grieving and they can't get upset of how you're grieving. But ultimately, you need to feel what you're feeling. If you're interested, talk to those, right? If If you're needing support, reach out. Do what you feel is going to help you the most get through it. If you need to post on Facebook every day, post on Facebook every day. Mm-hmm. If you need to take weeks off and, and, and internalize it, take weeks off and internalize it, right? Ultimately for me, grief comes in every single shape and size and it's going to be different, right? D- day one grief and I'm at three and a half years since losing my brother, right? Mm-hmm. And you know, here I, w- I, I still get emotional because mm-hmm. I loved my brother and he was my best friend. And, and so th- those emotions are real. Don't hide them, mm-hmm. right? Don't hold them back. Talk about your loved one, right? For me, Staff Strong is kind of my grief, right? In a weird way, I, I get to still write about my brother. I get to still talk about my brother. We run events and I get to tell the story of to new people of how this started and what we've become because of how my brother faced this disease. So for me, grieving is, is Staff Strong. It's, that's my platform that helps me get through it. Mm-hmm. Other people think, hey man, how do you do that, right? But you don't have to. That's the thing because everyone grieves differently and and whatever you're feeling on a certain day is okay. And I think the tough thing about GBM and why we didn't, let's say, move quicker in terms of organizations and support is because a lot of people didn't talk about it. Right. GBM is tough to talk about. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna sit here from a throne and say this is easy to do. Right. It's not. But 
the more people that start to talk about it and create a dialogue mm-hmm. and, and create awareness, that's how we change it. Yep. So again, in the beginning days of, of my brother's diagnosis, no one was talking about it, right? No, not us, but I'm saying anyone we saw mm-hmm. or found just kind of in isolation. So that's my one of my biggest things with grief is like, how many people can we pull together, right? How many people can we use this grief to invoke change, yep. to ensure that I'm not just feeling sad by myself. My sadness is driving staff strong success, which is driving change in the brain cancer research space. I love that. No matter where you are in the grief process, you can find a way to honor your loved one, however that looks for you, whether it's working with a foundation, whether it's volunteering, whether it's donating, whether it's journaling, whether it's just talking about the person that, that is now gone. There are so many different ways to channel your grief. And I think that's a bit of what you're speaking to. And everybody has a different purpose. Everybody has a different way of walking that path. But I think that each individual needs to remember that just like you're stressing, you're not alone on this journey. This is why we we exist. This is why we're here. This is why you are here. It's why I'm here. It's why so many others uh, that are doing the work that they're doing within the community, this is why we do it so that the people that aren't immersed in a foundation or podcast or other form of brain cancer initiative that they realize that they're not alone. You're not alone in this journey. Well said. So as we get ready to wrap up, we've talked so much about your brother, but share a memory, share a piece of his personality, something that you don't normally talk about that people don't know that really shines a light on who he was. There's just so much to him and you can tell he was just such a powerful and colorful and peaceful presence, but even before diagnosis. So give us a glimpse into that individual, something that people wouldn't normally know. We went to college together and then lived in New York City together in our early 20s. So I could write a book on this for sure. But (laughs) interesting story I've never told. I was actually thinking about this the other day as we were preparing for our 5K coming up in September because we go back to the race and the track starts at our, our high school where we went to high school. And my brother was actually the president of, of student council throughout all four years of high school. And one of the years, it might've been his junior year or, or senior year of high school, we were the golden bears, the Vestal golden bears. And we had this like, not only life-size, it was larger than like any ginormous grizzly bear you've ever seen. It was painted in, in gold. And, and he, was, he actually was um, most school-spirited in the superlatives senior year, but he rode in on this golden bear to give his speech. And like it must have been senior year because I was a freshman in high school. <laughs> Just eruption. And people like always, it's one of those things like when we're back home and catching up with a few of his old friends, like it's one of those stories that like oftentimes will come up because just like it was just who my brother was and the character and, and kind of guy he was. Like here's the person who's the, you know, student government president <laughs> and He's riding in in full, you know, green and yellow, school spirited <laughs> face paint on the golden bear that no one's ever done, and no one's ever done after because it definitely wasn't, uh, it definitely wasn't approved. But that's just kind of who my brother was. He led the student section of the basketball games. He just cared, right? I think if if you sum it up in in closing, like my brother just cared, and that's what I try mm-hmm. to to emulate about him. He cared about people. He cared about anyone who came into his space, and he was always that kind of person. He was always doing things in in his way. If we can all do a little bit of what Jeej did, not only would the world be a better place, but I think we'd have plenty of advancements against this disease. I think that's a perfect place to end. I can't even say anything else about that. I, he sounds like a truly humbling and giving 
and kind person, no ulterior motives, nothing, you know, I'm doing this for you because it'll help me. He just sounds like he was a truly amazing individual. And I think that the way you're honoring him is astounding. And it's just, I tip my hat to you. I think it's amazing work that you're doing. It's foundations like yours that are going to help push the needle and make the change and make the difference. I am so grateful to have had you on to share more of this story for our listeners, let them know where they can find uh, Stash Strong, where they can look up events, find information. If you have social media, please feel free to share that. Yeah. So all of our, our documentary, all of our events, everything we're up to, you can find at stashstrong.org, S-T-A-C-H-E strong.org. And then on uh, Facebook and Instagram at Stash Strong. So something that started organically ha- has given ability to hopefully change a lot. And you know, if any of this resonated with you, if you'd ever want to reach out, I'm available of every hour of every day uh, because <laughs> this matters to me and because I know we can support uh, the next family that uh, unfortunately is facing GBM. Colin, thank you so, so much for joining us today. For all of our listeners, we will have all of this information on our website in the bio section along with hyperlinks. We will also have some of the event information located on our website and on our YouTube channel. Feel free to go there to find all of the information you need for the Stash Strong Foundation. Colin, you're an amazing individual and your brother would truly, truly be so unbelievably proud. I know he is. I can feel it. The work that you're doing, it matters. It means a lot. And I'm so grateful that you took time to share your story. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. And with that, we will be right back. Welcome, everybody, to our wrap-up section, a segment that we like to call the Grace Walk. We'll be doing this for the rest of the season, and it's our way to share insights that we've gleaned from the guest interviews and to talk about our journeys through grief. Grief is just that. It's a walk. It's a journey that we have to take. And whether your grief is from the loss of a relationship, anxiety that you are struggling with, the death of a loved one or a favorite pet, or simply the grief that you are struggling with from significant change that is currently taking place in your life. This is what the grace walk is. Grief can be our transportation. It can take a bad thing and bring us to a good place if we only let it. That's what grief does. It transforms us. It transports us. It teaches us if we allow it to guide us instead of tamping it down or treating it with fear. Collins stated that Stash Strong is his grief. And I found that so compelling and so interesting that we made it the title of this episode. He took his grief He took his brother's grief and they transformed it into stash strong. They took a bad thing and it brought him to a good place. The Game on Glio podcast is my grief. It is my form of transportation, taking me from a bad place to a good place. And the grace walk is just that. It is our interpretation, our insights our thoughts and our tips for all of you. What we don't talk about on the show, you will see on the new Instagram page, The Grace Walks, plural. 
And there we will be sharing some guided videos of me journeying, walking through different places, different sounds, different experiences, different feelings. And I'll share thoughts and tips with you over there that you'll only get on that page. What I will say is that Colin has taught me so much in this interview today. The amount of courage that he and his family and his brother had throughout his disease, the way they harnessed it and tapped into their grief, they dug deep to find strength and let it transport them to where he is now, he and his family, with the foundation, carrying on his brother's legacy. That is a powerful thing. Grief can be such an amazing tool, and we never think of it that way. We don't think of grief as a tool in our toolkit. We don't think of it as something that can teach us and help us grow. It's always this bad word. It has a negative connotation to it, as it should, because a lot of times it means that something bad has happened, something discomforting, discouraging, fearful, scary, heartbreak, loss. These are all words that are associated with grief. But if we allow ourselves to wrap our arms around our grief and not be afraid of it, and I will be the first to tell you that that is not an easy thing to do. I am still learning how to do that myself. But I have started to learn how to let grief guide me, how to let it be my transportation. And it's almost become my compass And as I walk side by side with my grief, treating it as if it's a partner in my journey, it's taking me to a good place. It's a place I'm unfamiliar with. It's a place I don't recognize. Yet it's still a place of strength and of hope. And I find moments of joy. It's taken me to this place of this podcast and all of the amazing partners and businesses that I now work with people that I've met along my journey. And our guest today has done the exact same thing with his. He has let it guide him instead of being afraid of it. They have laughed with their grief. They have cried with their grief. They have let it transport them. And in doing so, they have built this amazing foundation that now helps so many others. Thank you so much for being with us today on this episode of the Game on Glio podcast and for joining us on our new segment, The Grace Walk. You will hear more of these throughout the rest of the season and please follow along on our page, The Grace Walks, for some special videos, soothing and meditative that you won't find anywhere else. We'll be back again next month with another amazing episode. Until then, we'll see you soon. This episode was brought to you by Mimivax LLC, developing immunotherapeutic vaccines and therapies for treatment of cancers such as glioblastoma. Learn more at Mimivax.com. You've been listening to the Game on Glio podcast, the podcast that is designed to educate, advocate, and tell the real stories of those walking the journey of brain cancers such as glioblastoma and grief and loss. Like what you hear? Share us with others. Follow us on Instagram at Game on Glio Podcast, Facebook at Game on Glio, or visit our website or YouTube channel. You can find us anywhere podcasts are played.